0: So I pride myself on practicing mindfulness and really trying to focus on maintaining a positive attitude. And while it's work, and I do say that it is work, I always am focusing on the work. And really what work looks like for me is going to therapy and engaging in my own interests and passions. I sometimes struggle with bouts of loneliness that I'm not always sure what to do with. And it makes me wonder how we, as Black women, process our own mental health. What are our journeys? From WBEZ Chicago, this is When Magic Happens. I'm Jennifer Shea Love-Long, here with Cheryl Jackson and Taylor Coward. And today, we're talking about mental health and healing. Later, we hear from Dr. Joy Hardin-Bradford. She's a renowned psychologist, author, and host of the podcast, Therapy for Black Girls, and a new book called Sisterhood Heals, about the transformative power of healing in community. All that and more, coming up. Think on your feet for our fast and curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race, hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July
1: 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org events.
0: So, ladies, how comfortable are you talking about your own personal mental health?
2: I've become more comfortable with it because I think that as you talk about it more openly and authentically, it normalizes mental health Mm -hmm. in conversation. And it makes it kind of breaks up the stigma that a lot of people have around it. At first, it felt like a private matter, but now I'm more open to talking about it. I think globally, people became comfortable with talking about mental health during the pandemic because it was something we all experienced at the same time. As a
1: Gen Z-er, I would think that maybe you would have you know, naturally been more comfortable mm-hmm. with talking about therapy. Certainly, my nieces and nephews are very comfortable. But was that your experience or is it something you kind of evolved into?
2: It was, but it takes learning that it's okay to talk about. Therapy isn't talked about when you're a young kid. It's something that you have to find out about later on once it comes time to partake in it and so at first you're like oh is this thing okay or what are other people doing Mm -hmm. and so that's why I try to be honest with friends I was just talking to my friend the other day about how I found my therapist the list that I use what we talk about and then I found that most of the black women that were nearby were booked into like the next millennia and I found one woman that had some availability but not much And so I called her office and they were like, we don't have her available really, but are you open to a woman of color? And so my therapist now is Pakistani, but she's also around my age bracket. And so I'm getting to experience what having a millennial therapist is like, opposed to my older one who I felt didn't really get me. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like I was able to cross the race barrier because I got someone who could level with me age-wise. But the search took a while. Right, Because Because my first therapy experience didn't go how I wanted it to go. Same. Mm. I didn't feel heard. I didn't feel seen. Yeah.
1: Wow. Um, you know, my generation, mm-hmm. um, I didn't at all grow up talking about therapy, seeking out therapy. But, you know, there's something about being in the valley that brings you to your knees and you're just looking for help. And for me, it was dealing with divorce and cancer, breast cancer at the same time, Mm -hmm. that really said, it is time. This is, you can't bounce. I prided myself on being the bounce back girl. Mm -hmm. You know, I could bounce back from anything, snap back. I couldn't snap back from that. And I was like, what is wrong with me? Snap out of it. And that was a period that I sought therapy. For me,
0: I realized that I needed a resource after big things happening in my life that I couldn't sort of put words around, Mm -hmm. right, or didn't really know how to address or deal with or even name, like I wasn't really sure what they were. So I went through different iterations of therapists and I found that it's like exercise or drinking water, you know, that it is a requirement for my peace of mind, Mm -hmm. you know, that I see this person every week. I find her to be an excellent guide Mm -hmm. and she is very insightful, but she doesn't call things things that I haven't called a thing. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. she really is helpful in guiding me to finding my own answers. And so I like that word guide is that really she's a very, very helpful guide. I went through multiple iterations of therapists, though. I realize you have to be very careful about the voice on the other side of the couch, right? Mm -hmm. Like, meaning, what is it that they're feeding to you that is either going to help you move forward or
2: it's going to have you rest in this place for a while? I only looked for people um, that offered 10 or 15-minute consultations for us to, like— Feel each other out. Right. And I think that's really important because it's a lot of trial and error, like Absolutely. you said, that goes into it. And some of that can be eliminated if you get that consultation out of the way. Yeah.
1: You know, what I often tell people when I coach women, the best time to have a coach is when you're not in crisis. Mm. You know, um, because, you know, when you're in crisis, you're one digging yourself out of a hole um, to get to even. Mm. Um and when you've got a coach, um, you just can go further, faster, um, as a guide, yeah. as a tool, as a resource. So, um, so I should take that same approach um, with uh, therapy. But let me just say this: once I did get into therapy, mm-hmm. okay, this was multiple years. Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> I was in there for a minute. It was, it was a. Yeah. It was a, I was in the valley for a while. hmm
2: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I went to therapy starting mid-pandemic. And then I just wasn't having a good experience with the therapist that I had at that time. So I just decided to stop going. But then I lose my dad. I start working more. It's just a lot going on. And so I think a moment for me was thinking about him every day and being like, I just want to cry and scream. And I was like, I think that's a part of grief, but it doesn't take a year. You know, I got to be able to function. And I was like, maybe you should go back to therapy. And I really wanted genuine help. And so I decided not to go back to the same person. I was like, I'm gonna just get started on finding a new person because I need genuine guidance right now. And so that was like, my moment of going back to therapy. And so I'm wondering, did you all have a moment that like first made you go, made you return? Mm-hmm. And and what, what were those?
0: I had a moment. My kids are with their dad every Thursday. Mm-hmm. And every Thursday, I, you know, everybody everybody knows what Jennifer's doing on Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> um, but every Thursday I fill that space, because they're not there, with something. I'm hanging out with friends. I'm going to dinner. I'm finding a reason to travel, Mm -hmm. just anything to sort of move myself out of that space. Mm -hmm. And I think there was like one Thursday where I couldn't find something to do. And Mm -hmm. like it was raining or, you know, there was a reason why I had to stay inside. And I felt this overwhelming sense of loneliness, Mm -hmm. you know, and just that I I remember breaking down because it was raining and just I, I just I, I felt very alone. Mm-hmm. And even though, you know, I have people around me, I think it was sort of this symbol of being in this family house by myself without my family, mm-hmm. you know, and being there alone. What I realized is it was a feeling that I had had for a very long time but was really finding ways to mask it or Mm -hmm. to come up with ways Mm -hmm. to not feel it. Mm -hmm. Right. Loneliness is about connection, wanting to feel connected to Mm -hmm. something. Mm -hmm. And connection doesn't have to be with a human. Connection could actually be through nature, which I find to be very healthy for me. Mm -hmm. Right. Or connection can be through music. Yeah. It can be through laughter. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't necessarily have to be... Through another person. Through another person. Right. And I think knowing that has also helped me be more comfortable identifying ways to address what bothers me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I started going to this woman and literally we talk about loneliness and we talk about what that feeling feels like to me. Mm -hmm. It is refreshing to have an outlet to explain how I got there, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And how I'm finding these ways to fill it. And that was my moment, but I also find it to be a very helpful tool to figure out and
2: use techniques to address it. And you had an open mind. You have to go into it with an open mind because you're there to accept help. Mm -hmm. My therapist told me that I need to do earthing. Mm, So she was like, what's that? She's like, girl, go in your backyard, take your shoes off if you feel comfortable, or just sit on the ground for like five minutes. Mm -hmm. She was like, you are doing this and doing that and you're everywhere and she's like, but you don't take time for yourself mm-hmm. and you're not grounded. And she's like, there is a connection with being in nature, in nature yeah. and putting your feet, you know, when people right. yeah. you go touch some grass. Right. Yeah. She literally was like, go touch some grass. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And
1: I'll report back. You know, one moment after I ran for office, after, you know, the CEO of the Chicago Urban League, after all of the, you know, being... Um, press secretary to the governor, my life slowed down. And then I realized that I wasn't happy um, that my marriage wasn't really working. Mm -hmm. And um, and I I so it was my first entree. Um, I um, at the top of the year, remember I, I wrote myself a note what I wanted out of life or what was not working and um i got a membership to a gym <laughs> and i um you know saw uh, sought out a therapist um the next moment that i sought therapy was after right after being diagnosed with breast cancer mm. and i was um worked way out in the suburbs i was taking the metro train um, back in commuting on Metra and I was coming home and I felt tightness in my chest mm-hmm. and the pain was so intense. I jumped up. I thought I was having a heart attack. Like I, do I get off the train? Do I tell the conductor to call 911? I was in full on panic. It was an anxiety attack. Like ferocious anxiety. attack, And that feels
2: like a heart attack. It
1: feels like a heart attack. can feel like a heart mm-hmm. attack for me. It felt like a heart attack. And I told my doctor, like, I need to get some da, 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 da. So he, can, you know, my primary care physician, and he mm-hmm. was like, no, that's an anxiety attack. Mm-hmm. And so that's what, um, sent me back into therapy is that moment mm-hmm. that this was, I needed some help mm-hmm. with managing the diagnosis and, um, and still processing a marriage that wasn't working. You know, it takes, you know, my therapist told me, from the moment you realize your marriage isn't working, it takes like several years to right. actually get to the point where you're ready to divorce. Sure. And so so they, they sort of converged at the same time.
0: I've had anxiety attacks. What was it like? It is debilitating mm-hmm. because it's one of those things that you you can't control in my instance i couldn't control and it wasn't necessarily something that was spawned by an event mm-hmm. you know it was a combination of all of these things kind of coming together mm-hmm. and it just it just kind of happened mm-hmm. my experience was i realized like i couldn't physically do anything to stop it meaning i couldn't work out i couldn't go for a walk it wasn't just drinking some water or laying down it was. What were your physical symptoms? Um, I felt like uh, kind of pressure on my chest, mm-hmm. and almost literally like I was going to pass out or die. You know, quite honestly, mm-hmm. it's very and, and scary it's a mental. Feeling. It's a mental because you're really you also have to mentally control how you're thinking about it.
1: One of the biggest things I've learned from therapy mm-hmm. is to become very self-aware. Yeah, to know your triggers so that you can get ahead of it Mm -hmm. or, you know, prevent it. How about that? Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, But you have to know, like I know when I'm feeling, starting to feel anxious, I'd go down my list. Uh, Have you been losing sleep? Are you ripping and running, Mm -hmm. you know, from sunup to sundown? Are you spending, you know, quality time with people who care about you and care for you? I go down my, my, my checklist, what's going on in my life. That's driving these emotions. Mm-hmm. So that's a really, really great thing about therapy. Um, what I gain gleaned from therapy, but it's getting there, mm-hmm. particularly for people of my generation. When we were raised to, you know, either push down your um, emotions mm-hmm. or, you know, you don't go to therapy because, you know, it's, crazy people do not crazy right. um, mm-hmm. or someone else will find out uh, which is you know that that stigma around uh, around that um, or that you're not in control mm-hmm. um, the other thing which I think, is
0: interesting because you're you're actually the, it's the that's how you get on control everything. Yeah. yeah right you know
1: well that these are the stigmas I think yeah. that the drivers the other thing is that I think particularly for uh, black women mm-hmm. When everybody is counting on you, I think you, there is some thought that if I go to therapy, if I seek out help, that's some, you know, acknowledgement that, um, that I'm not strong mm-hmm. and that then, you know, there are too many people counting on me and I have to remain strong and somehow going to therapy is, is you know, a crack in the, in the wall, you know, mm-hmm. of not being strong when in fact it's the opposite thinking Yeah, um, that's true. So, you know, these kinds of um, stigmas mm-hmm. around, you know, seeking therapy or being the rock uh, of the family or shame mm-hmm. or con- lack of control kind of keep people, mm-hmm. you know, one therapist said this. I'll never forget what he, he said. He said, you know, you're only as sick as your secrets. Yeah. And so not talking I mean you know y'all can know. you you miss TikTok I'm Bible girl okay Uh, but going back to the Bible okay (laughs) you know the Bible says confession is good for the soul but that's about speaking your truth getting you're only as sick as your secrets not having it be a secret
0: Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org
2: slash events. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of
1: Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.
0: This topic is really close to heart for me, but Cheryl, I know you had some thoughts of your own regarding symptoms of hyperindependence, and you had the pleasure of chatting with Dr. Joy Hardin-Bradford.
1: And that I did. As a CEO and often the leader of many teams, asking for help has always been a struggle. In the past, it was a challenge for me to find people that I could really lean on and fully trust because I've been disappointed uh, so many times and often with key relationships. And this disappointment sometimes morphed into hyper-independence. I recently learned that hyper-independence could be a response to trauma. And that I'm not the only one to have dealt with this. That's why I was so excited to sit down with Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford to get her professional expertise on this pressing issue.
3: So I have six aunties. My mom has six sisters. And I would often hear them talking about their nerves being bad, right? And so, (laughs) of course, now... And now I know that that is like anxiety that they were referring to. But of course, they, you know, they didn't necessarily have the language for what that was. Right. And that is a part of why it was so important for me to do the work of therapy for black girls was to give people language for these things that like our moms and aunties and grandmothers did not have
1: language for. And now we can trace back like, oh, this is what they were talking about. I'd love for us to talk about this concept of hyper-independence as a trauma response because I see so much of that in Black women. I see it in myself.
3: Yeah, you know, I think, um, you know, there are so many conversations around trauma responses recently, right? And so I think it's important to kind of break down what we're even talking about. So when we're talking about something is a trauma response, we're talking about you have developed this way of being as a response to something traumatic happening to you. And so I think when we think about hyper-independence, I think especially for a lot of Black women, a lot of times us asking for help has been weaponized. So if we are little people, if we're young girls, and we ask our parents, our grandparents or aunties um, for help with something, did they readily give us help? Or did they say, go figure it out yourself? Or you're a big girl, you can do that. You should know the answer, right? So if we are taught that it's okay to ask for help, we grow up into adults who also are still okay asking for help. But I think for a lot of us, we have been told that it's not okay to ask for help or have been forced because maybe, you know, there wasn't anybody around to ask. We had to figure it out for ourselves. And so now we have become adults who feel like, there's not anybody around to ask. So I got to figure it out. And I just keep putting more and more on my plate until I really run out of bandwidth to do anything. So I think that's one of the reasons why we develop this hyper independent kind of a spirit. What that means though, then is that we are, we come into this spirit of effort. I'll do it myself. Right. So then we don't want to ask anybody. We feel like they're, they're not going to do it like I would do it. So I might as well do it myself. Right. And then we are just running ourselves ragged. And I think. What I often see for Black women is that, you know, other people can kind of see the brick wall kind of in a distance, like, okay, I got to slow down because I'm about to crash into this wall. Often for Black women, we are through the wall before we even recognize. that something is happening and like the alerts go off. And what I really want is for us to be more attentive to like what's going on so that we can see that wall in the distance and slow ourselves down before we even crash into the wall.
1: I'm guilty of that. I I used to pride myself um, and my worth and my ability to bounce back, Um, you know, go through walls and bounce back. And that was, you know, that was my red badge of courage until that stopped working for me mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah and we do it to one another way.
3: it's too right like right. how all- saying like, oh, she don't look like she been, she don't look like what she's been through. Right. That's like, right. Why, why That's is right. that a good thing? Like we, if, if our world has fallen apart, it is okay to look like our world has fallen apart. So I think we have to be mindful of how we treat each other in that way as well, that we don't reinforce these negative ideas about strength and, you know, that being the only way we can show up.
1: Let's talk about loneliness. Certainly one of the kind of major symptoms of hyper-independence can be loneliness. Talk a little bit about loneliness and particularly as an outgrowth of hyper-independence.
3: Yeah, you know, so it is something that I think is really important to pay attention to and it is so serious that our Surgeon General has come out and like named it as an epidemic, right? So it is something that they are really wanting people to pay attention to because there's also a study that talks about the fact that prolonged loneliness is as bad for our health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And so when we think about it, right? Right? I mean, we, and we know how much you know research has been done on smoking and stuff like that. So the fact that that is the kind of analogy they're making, I think, should make all of us pay attention. Um, and so I think when we think about loneliness, we, we need to think about the fact that we are not meant to do life alone, right? Like by nature we are social creatures, you know, life happens, but it is really our ability to rely on our support system and having a support system to try to help us put ourselves back together and be there to kind of buffer when when challenges happen. And so we think about, you know, wanting to kind of be super independent or feeling like you can't ever ask for help or that nobody will be there to help you. You can see how that then would result in you maybe pushing people away never even allowing people to get close to you for them to know that anything is even happening with you. And so I think as Black women, we do have to be particularly careful about this idea that we can kind of do it all ourselves. And so I think it really, again, is about us, you know, kind of shedding that armor and being much more open with how we are struggling and understanding that everybody has struggles, right? So that there is no need for us to pretend as if life is picture perfect because we know that it is not for any of us.
1: You know what I've been learning um, hearing about lately is the challenges and difficulties for adults, mature adult adults to form friendships, to find mm-hmm. community. Um, it, can you talk about that? I can see yes. you nodding your head like, yes, that, that's a thing, girl. That's a One thing. One of my
3: favorite. It, it, it very much is. And if you think about Cheryl, like when you were younger, like how did you make your friends, right? Like my friends came from the people who like sat next class or we were in Girl Scouts together or we, you know, you made friends really easily because you were doing things and involved with these people. But as you get older, like there are not those same opportunities for like continued connections with people. And so we have to work a little bit harder to find people who, you know, we are in alignment with who people that we enjoy their company. And so because, you know, we are often at work, a lot of people do make friends with people they might work with. But I think you also have to be intentional to think about where else might you find people who are interesting to you? So, does that mean you participate on a like intramural basketball league, or um, do you make friends with the mom that you see in the carpool lane when you drop your little one off? Right. So, being very intentional about like putting ourselves in spaces where we can connect with new people because it isn't as easy as grade school, right? Like we're not just around a bunch of new people all the time, and so we have to work a little bit harder to find those people who could become important support systems for us.
1: Plus, we. Have- have issues and we don't trust a whole lot of folks so. <laughs> We've been yes, burned, i'm not saying okay? it's gonna be easy i'm not saying it's going to be easy but
3: you can't expect that they are just going to show up at That's your true. house right like That's you will true. have to probably do a little bit of work of putting yourself out there to even meet people who you can then vet to see if they become
1: somebody to you so there's not a match.com for friendships okay <laughs> Well, there actually
3: is. So there's an app called Bumble. um, And Bumble, it can also be used for dating, but there's a BFF version of Bumble for people who are connecting and wanting to make friends. So yeah, so there are, you know, there's an app for everything. There is an app for everything. It definitely is. That's
1: awesome. I did not know about that app. Um, Okay, Mm -hmm. because when I hear Bumble, I just think hookups. So, you know. Exactly. But it's a BFF. That's cool. All right. Now we're going to talk about your book, Sisterhood Heals. This book is all about transformative power of healing in community. I wanna know what sparked this book for you and why you felt now was the time to do that, to write that Mm -hmm.
3: book. So, you know, actually Sisterhood Heals was supposed to be an in-person experience and then we had a pandemic. So I was planning on doing a Sisterhood Heals either a day or a weekend. I hadn't completely decided yet um, experience. And so when the pandemic happened, my literary agent said, well, what kinds of things were you going to be doing that weekend? Like, What kinds of conversations would you hope to have? And then it became the outline for the book. And it feels particularly, timely to to have that book be out in the world now. I think just now are some of us kind of coming out of this fog of what happened in the last three years and like, how do I even put my life back together? And so it, it feels really important to kind of have a book be in the world about connecting and how we can be much more intentional about connecting with one another, because I think that is what is going to be pivotal in us moving through this next phase of the pandemic and trying to figure out, you know, like, how do we move forward from what has happened?
1: You know, you talk a lot about sisterhood and the importance of that. When I was diagnosed with breast cancer, I did not, um, you know, share it with my sisterhood. I mean, I, my circle of girlfriends and one of them pulled me to the side. She's like, you know, you really need... Um, a, a sisterhood, you really need us, you know, there's, there's value in that. And, and I really was, you know, really trying to process that, you know, what is kind of, in what ways is sisterhood different from just a friendship? Um, can can you, can you talk about that and what the benefits of sisterhood are? And then how is it different from just a friendship?
3: Yeah. So I think, you know, for a lot of the reasons we've already talked about, Cheryl, right? And I think even your sister friend being able to come to you with what may have been like a very difficult and awkward conversation, like shows the level of intentionality. And I think that that is the main difference is that, you know, sisterhood really is like, you are my chosen family and I take responsibility for you just like you take responsibility for me. Um, And I think that there's just a different level of intimacy that comes when we're talking about our sister friends, right? Like you, may be friendly with people at work but that kind of conversation might not happen with the person that you sit next to at work right um there's a real investment in like who you are and you being well that I think comes with sisterhood and I think because you know and it's really interesting so I didn't write about it about this in the book but what you talk about in terms of like not sharing your diagnosis with your sister friends I think comes up for a lot of black women this idea that we often struggle with like medical concerns that we don't let our closest circles know about I think it's something that is is maybe um us not wanting to be a burden and like not like wanting to worry people that I feel like is maybe a uniquely hyper
1: independence it might go back there to that go. it might go back to that oh absolutely. I don't know that for yeah me. yeah so
3: we don't want to worry because I
1: wasn't I wasn't trying to hide it
3: yeah so when we think about you know like a cancer diagnosis or like the way your world gets turned upside down in the in the wake of like that kind of news of course you need people who are going to come in and like kind of do some thinking for you right because you're you're literally fighting for your life and so can somebody come in to do laundry and make sure that you're eating and make sure the dog is walked and like all of those things like you really need a circle a village to kind of galvanize for you so that you can do what you need to do to just take care of yourself and that's i think the the value of being in community with one another is that there is someone there to kind of pick up the slack when things happen.
1: So let's talk about therapy, your favorite topic, um, <laughs> and mental wellness tips. Why is therapy different from just chatting with a girlfriend? This this is, for people who don't think that therapy, um, they don't get it, you know, um, they don't understand the value of it. I, I talk to, you know, uh, my friend or a family member or, you know, someone at church. Mm-hmm. So
3: I don't want to discount chatting with our girlfriends. Clearly, I wrote a whole book about sisterhood. So please could keep talking to your girlfriends and keep talking to the people at church. But it is different because when you're talking to your girlfriend, your girlfriend might also then slip in a story about what she has going on. Right. So I'm talking to you about my recent breakup. And then you start talking to me about your relationship concerns. And that is completely normal within the the con- the finds a friendship. With your therapist, your therapist should not be talking with you about what's going on in their personal life because it is time dedicated just to you. So that's the main difference is that it is not a reciprocal relationship in that way. Like it is really just focused on you and whatever it is you have going on and what you want to talk about. The other thing is that as therapists, we're also looking to make connections between what you're saying in this week's session and what you told me 2 years ago when we had a session talking about different kinds of patterns, right? So we're li- we're listening as much for what you're saying right now and what you're not saying as we are to what you shared previously, right? So we're we're trying to make connections between what you're sharing. We're trying to kind of put pu- pieces of the puzzle together to say, "Hey, have you ever thought or I noticed that when you talk about such and such, you know, you make this kind of face or you seem more closed off, right? Like we're, we're doing all of this kind of observing and paying attention that your, your friends probably are not doing um, unless they are trained as therapists. But even if they're trained as therapists in that moment, they're probably not behaving as a therapist. They're just there as your girlfriend. Um, You know, so I think that that is one of the major differences as well, is that we are trying to kind of put pieces of the puzzle together in a way that your friendships are likely not going to be doing.
1: Uh, Tell me, how do you find a good therapist? What's your suggestion for those looking for a good therapist?
3: Mm -hmm. So my my first tip would to be be patient with the process um, because it is not always an easy process. And I typically talk with people about the fact that it is a little like dating. Um, but of course, you don't have romantic feelings necessarily for your therapist. Um, so what you're wanting to do is to find somebody who you feel like is going to be a good match for you. So you want to find a therapist who you are going to feel comfortable talking with them about some things that maybe you haven't even talked to other people in your life about. Um, but you also want somebody who is like trained in the thing that you're coming in for, right? So you might find a therapist online, lots of therapists, you know, have active social media profiles and websites, you know, so you can get to know a little bit more about their personality. And you might feel like you really click with somebody personality wise, but if they're not trained in the thing that you're coming in for, it probably is not going to be super helpful for you because they're not going to maybe be able to help you in that way. Um, The other thing that I tell people is that it is okay if you have to kind of date Or work with a couple of different therapists before you find the one that is right for you. Sometimes, you know, you might really enjoy what they say or they have great training on paper. But when you meet them in person, like it just doesn't quite feel like it fits um, or you maybe feel judged by them or, you know, something else about the relationship feels off it is okay for you to find somebody else who you feel like might be a better fit for you. And it doesn't mean that you are a bad therapist or that they, or it doesn't mean that they are a bad therapist or that you are a bad client. It just may not be a fit. So much of therapy is really about like the the relationship between client and therapist. And so if it feels off, it is okay for you to find somebody who you think you will have a better connection with.
1: How important is it to have a therapist that um, shares your, um, your experience, your lived experience? How important is it to have a therapist who, if you're Black, is also Black?
3: Hmm. Yeah. So I, I think if it is important to you, then it is important for you to find it. Right. Because, you know, especially for people who have not had therapy before, like anything that is going to make it more difficult for you to open up, you should try to like decrease that as a barrier. Right. So if you think, oh, talking to another black woman is what's going to make me feel comfortable, you should absolutely try to find a black woman therapist. I will add, though, however, we do know the numbers. Right. So there are not even if every black woman wanted a black woman therapist, there would not be enough of us to go around. And so absolutely search for what you want. But I also tell people to be open to the fact that you could have an incredible, amazing therapeutic experience with somebody who does
1: not look like at all what you thought you wanted in terms of a therapist. That's an excellent, excellent point. I have one more uh, question tip uh, or advice. This one is from my niece, Alexandria. <laughs> Her question is this um, How do you reset yourself during moments of high stress?
3: Mm, lots of good strategies there. So one of my favorite exercises. So what you're talking about is grounding. So grounding exercises are things that we sometimes will teach clients that will help you to kind of bring down the intensity on a moment. You know, so if you're feeling really overwhelmed or if you're having a panic attack or something like that, these are exercises that you can do to kind of bring down that intensity. So one of my favorite grounding exercises is an exercise that we call five, four, three, two, one. And so what you want to do is sit up in your chair or on the side of your bed and put your feet firmly on against the floor. Um, and you want to look around your environment for five things that you can see. Um, so I can see a tree outside of my window. I can see my neighbor's house. Um, four things that you can hear. So I can hear a clock ticking. I can hear traffic along the road. Three things that you can touch. So I can feel the fabric on my, my shirt or I can feel the the weight of my microphone. Two things that you can smell. So maybe you smell some lotion you put on recently or if you have a candle lit. And then one thing that you can taste. And I typically encourage people to do some kind of like really sour candy or something that is like super flavorful so that you are in touch with that. And the purpose of this exercise is that you are focusing on all five of your senses. And so when your brain is trying to do all of those things, it is it is harder to be like as intensely activated about whatever you were anxious or stressed about. Um and so the, the purpose is really to ground you in this moment. That's
1: awesome. I've never heard of 54321. Um so on behalf of my niece, thank you for that. So Dr. Bradford, tell us how um can people find your podcast, Therapy for Black Girls, and then how they can find and follow you.
3: Mm-hmm. So if you visit our website at therapyforblackgirls.com, you will find our therapist directory as well as the podcast, as well as our membership community where we provide support for Black women across the country. Um, but you can also find the podcast on all of your favorite podcast players. So Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, all of the places you find podcasts. If you type in therapy for Black girls, you can hit subscribe or follow and you'll get the new episodes every Wednesday morning. And then you can follow me across social media at Hello, Dr. Joy, H-E-L-L-O-D-R-J-O-Y. And then do make sure that you visit the website for the book, sisterhoodheals.com, to grab a copy of the book and to do a quiz that tells you what sister friend you are in your sister circle. Um, That's one that lots of people have been enjoying. So if you visit the website, you can do that there as well.
1: Oh, I love a good quiz. You should have (laughs) led with that, okay? (laughs) I love a good quiz that's going to talk about me. Tell me about me, okay? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) I'm going right to your website. So the question is, how do we find uh, the light at the end of our tunnel in the Midst of our struggles, how do we find that light?
2: Well, like checking in on yourself. Like I know that things are helping and therapy has been good because I can talk about my dad without falling on the floor. (laughs) You know what I mean? Right. Um, progress. Like sometimes progress isn't something that's tangible. I think in therapy it can be how you're feeling or your perspective on a on a subject that you brought to therapy. How has your perspective shifted on this thing? Um, And I think that that's the light at the end of the tunnel, to know that the thing that you're going through is temporary and that one day you won't feel the way you're feeling today. When I think about the light at the end of the tunnel, I
0: think about dancing towards it. Like, I think about movement, and I use movement, music, as a way to kind of like feel different. And, you know, it's interesting because music does make you feel different, Mm -hmm. you know, but I use music and movement as a way to do that. And I also think, you know, one thing that I found just in this journey, particularly uh, going through it with my therapist, is being, finding and being my most authentic self, Mm -hmm. right? Because I think, you know, why I am experiencing some of those challenges is because I feel that I can't speak and say the things that I want to say um, as a way to protect the other person when actually that is, that's not healthy for me, right? Mm-hmm. Is I'm actually um, pushing down things that are being sort of stuck inside of me instead of me sort of moving towards my light, mm-hmm. you know? And so I encourage people to speak up, you know, Mm -hmm. actually speak up. And if you feel it, there's a reason why your body's telling you it, you Mm -hmm. know, that there is something in our internal soul, our internal guide that is saying, you know, I don't don't feel so great on Thursdays when Mm -hmm. my kids leave. I don't know what to call this thing, but this is a thing and it's okay for it to be a thing. I just got to figure out what exactly it is and how do I address it? And it's just okay that I feel this way, good and
1: bad. You know, in finding that light, I think it's important to talk to someone. So if it isn't a therapist, now ready for that, um, talk to a trusted friend or resource, a mentor, um, a teacher someone Mm -hmm. um I think the isolation is such a big driver um Mm -hmm. in the breakdown of our mental health and wellness Mm -hmm. so I I would say talk to someone you know eventually I I think it's
2: or do a consultation
1: right because it's
2: like no strings attached right they don't ask for your card number you could do a lot of consultations and solve it It.
1: (laughs) be like at the grocery store in the system
2: (laughs) i'm gonna do 10 consultations (laughs) get it all
1: out (laughs) But, but
2: really like you know they didn't really ask much about me she she pretty much was like why are you calling today and i was like i need help uh, grieving right. like I was mm-hmm. like I was like I need to kind of process right a tra- mm-hmm. like the trauma of losing a parent right um and she's like all right yeah we can do stuff like that and I'm like and I also like career advice and I like because I think a lot of people yeah. think therapy is only going to be gloom and doom mm-hmm. right but we talk about dating yes. and we talk about um I sent her the picture of when my car got rummaged through. She's like, please email me the picture of your makeup that got stolen. I can't believe this happened. And, like, we've built, mm-hmm. we're building a relationship with each other. And so it's like, it's like having a girlfriend it who is. professionally can tell you how to do some things. And in some ways it's validation. You mm-hmm. know, somebody sees
0: you and hears you in a way. Exactly. But in your, in the way that is most authentic to you, mm-hmm. right? And that you don't have to. You know, put position what you're saying, or read this thing, or do the. You are being your most authentic self, and they're seeing you for that.
1: So, ladies, um, what's bringing you joy these days? What are you doing?
0: I love dancing. I find any reason to dance, to listen to music, to be around my people, right? The people I love, adore, and just you know, vibe
2: off of.
1: What about you, Taylor? What's bringing you joy?
2: Uh, I'm trying to learn how to play pickleball. Hmm. Yeah. I want to learn how to play that. I, Have I'm, you started? No, I'm starting Sunday. Oh. Because I'll be in the suburbs and there's this nice court I saw. Yeah. Because um, I'm going to try to work my way up to tennis, but I know I need to build some endurance. So I'm like, I'm going to try pickleball and then I'm going to graduate to tennis one day. So yeah, that's me right now. Trying to get back outside is trying bringing back, me joy. It's bringing you joy. And the weather has been weird, so... Mm. But being outside is good for me.
1: Yeah, such a great you know endorphin booster being outdoors. Okay, so here's what's bringing me joy. What? Sleep. <laughs> that is joyful. Ooh, girl, it is the most delicious part of my day when I can you know, and I I, I do it up. Okay, I my my sheets are fresh, they're pressed. Ooh, oh yeah.
2: You press your sheets?
1: Yeah. With what apparatus? An iron. You iron your sheets? I love ironing. Do you? And that brings you joy. It does. It's (laughs) something about ironing is, and then get a little lavender spritz on it. Yes. And then you got these fresh sheets that smells the hint, whiff of lavender. Mm -hmm. It's such a big self-care thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sleep. And I turned it around. And that's a wrap for our episode on mental health and healing. If you like what you heard, subscribe, rate us on Apple Podcasts, and tune in every Friday for your dose of When Magic Happens. And follow us on Instagram at When Magic Happens Podcast.
2: Don't miss out on the latest and greatest from your Win Magic Happens family. Subscribe to our newsletter, the perfect companion to this podcast, at wbez.org backslash newsletters. Special thanks to our guest,
0: Dr. Joy Harden bradford You can find her at hellodrjoy.com. You can find me, Jennifer Shay Love Long, on Instagram at beingshealove.
1: And you can find me, Cheryl Jackson, on socials at Cheryl Jackson. That's Cheryl with an E.
2: And you can find me, Taylor Coward, on Instagram at Taylor Coward Online. And we want to hear
1: from you, our magical listeners. Our email address is magic at wbez.org. Send us anything. We want to hear from you.
2: When Magic Happens is a production of WBEZ Chicago and is a part of the NPR Podcast Network. Our truly magical producer is Brianna Garrett. Elizabeth Cambridge is our associate producer. Brendan Banizak is our executive producer. Tracy Brown is chief content officer. Production assistance by Justin Bull. Engineering by Deshaun Smith. See y'all next week.